This is the Rebel Author Podcast, where we talk about books, business, and occasionally bad words. Hello, Rebels, and welcome to episode 114 of the Rebel Author Podcast. Today, I am joined by MJ Fiev, and we're talking all about money as an indie author. But first, to last week's question, which was, how do you plan for a new year? Now, the reason I asked this question was because uh, last week I got a very large calendar and uh, for my wall, although it then didn't bloody well stick to the to the wall, uh, I have like these whiteboard bits of paper that use static and you can stick all kinds of stuff to the wall without damaging it using blue tack or whatever. Um, but anyway, <laughs> I've kind of like pinned it or sort of magneted it to my whiteboard now. Um, and I was planning and putting in dates and things like this. And so that's why I asked that question. So yeah, Kerry Hadiski said, ha ha ha. Well, I use a planner and may as well buy stock in post-its. Oh, me too, honey. Uh, because parent life means constant change and rearranging of goals and deadlines. <laughs> oh, my days. Yes, it does. Especially right now. My kid has a cold and every couple of weeks because toddlers are walking, talking, screaming, petri ditch it, dishes. I don't write anything down just to have it, just to have to cross it out later. Yeah, I think this is one of the things I really struggle with. Like, it's kind of okay if you have like a lot of routine and your kids at school and I know Carrie's kids still um, quite little um, and things do get easier and you, you do start to like trust yourself. But like, that's one of the things I was having coaching on this year, like Becca Syme strength coaching is that I had lost all faith in myself to actually be able to hit deadlines. I used to thrive off of deadlines and off that, I don't know, like one off of the the buzz that I get from trying to hit a deadline and also off of the buzz that it gives me as we sort of roll up to a deadline. Um, and, and, and over the last 18, to 24 months over the last couple of years because of COVID and like all the changes and the lockdowns and things, I just like, like time after time after time after time, I wasn't hitting deadlines. I wasn't meeting um, goals that I'd hit for myself. And so I just lost faith in my ability. And that's why um, I've been so resistant to setting deadlines. However, (laughs) I will in my section tell you about a deadline I'm trying to meet at the moment. Okay, so Emily Han says, I write down uh, my goals in my bullet journal and keep checking back to them throughout the year. Yeah, so um, I know a lot of people that use bullet journals. I have used bullet journals. I just, I would, the problem for me with bullet journals is um, I can't just do like a simple ride a carol uh, bullet journal. I have to go extreme and like do all the art and stuff and I just don't have time. So I kind of kept up bullet journals for, I don't know, maybe 18 months, a couple of years. And then I just found I just didn't have the time to do it, which makes me really sad, especially when I see uh, like HB Line is a good friend of mine and she does these beautiful uh, bullet journals on Instagram and stuff. Uh, So yes, anyway, um, okay, so I am recording this a bit early, so it may be that there are other comments that come in, uh, but uh, unfortunately, I have run out of time because I'm on this deadline, which very handily brings me to this week's question, which is, how do you work with deadlines? Now, this came up because I am 
working to a deadline at the moment, but also I listened to the Relaxed Author audiobook by Mark Lefebvre and Joanna Penn uh, semi-recently, and it uh, sort of came up and reminded me, so I'm just closing my slack, um, it reminded me that um, we all work differently with deadlines. Some people uh, will see the deadline and then do all of the work far in advance, and then other people will deliver on the deadline. Now, usually under normal circumstances, I am the former and I will do the work way in advance of the deadline. However, um, I set myself a really big challenge uh, with my coach this month to edit the whole of Trey and just get the damn book done. And um, (laughs) the, the problem with that is that not only, okay, so like I edited half the book last month and then so I had half the book to really do a heavy heavy edit on this month and then I had to go back to the beginning and do the whole thing. Well, it took me two weeks to get through half the book and then I had a week off because I was absolutely exhausted. So that has left me with <laughs> a week to edit a book that is over 100k and I still have about 13k left to write because I have four new chapters or four new sections that need work. Um, because I decided to finish the series with this book. And it is, it is, I don't really like running up to a deadline like this. Um, and so suffice to say, I have been pulling obscenely long working days. I am recording this on Thursday the 25th of November and normally I record on a Friday morning and the reason for that is because I need to maximize my time tomorrow because I have Next Level Authors podcast and a chiropractor appointment and a school appointment and all the rest of this stuff. So anyway, um, yeah, I don't really like working like this with a deadline. That said, a deadline also really motivates me and really makes me dig deep and I do this kind of crazy, like over hyperactive... (sighs) like phoenix burn, um, all the way up to the ending. Um, And so I do kind of like that thrill of really pushing up against a deadline as well, even though like my preference is to work far in advance of that. Um, So yeah, I would like to know, how do you guys work with deadlines? Are you a last minute Larry? Um, Are you a um, get it in really early, uh, like early early worm, morning bird, whatever those phrases are. Um, Yeah, tell me, how do you work with deadlines? And I I, I also, the other reason I'm asking about this is because I am just in awe of people who can set a pre-order deadline. Like they can set a pre-order before they've even like finished the book. You guys are amazing. I would love to have that skill, but I know what would happen is (laughs) I would set the deadline and then like, the, the rebel in me would be like, fuck that. <laughs> then I would be totally screwed and I'd lose all my Amazon privileges. Uh, so yeah, tell me guys, how do you work with deadlines? Okay, so the book recommendation of the week this week is a patron book. So this week it is Lies the Guardians Tell by Herman Stuernagel. So this is a dystopian kind of science fiction, post-apoc science fiction, uh, teen and young adult novel. Um, And the hook is, the Guardians have lied to humanity for centuries. Now she'll be forced to uncover the truth. If you like pulse-pounding stories, bold heroines, captivating dystopias, and epic adventures, then you will absolutely love Herman Stoenagel's story. 
Um, it is, there are, there are three books in this series so far. So yes, I highly recommend you go and check out uh, my patron's book. And yeah, I will leave links to that in the show notes. So yeah, I'm only going to give you uh, kind of a short uh, update for the rest of, for the personal section, because I've, I've kind of told you where I'm at. I have more or less shut down everything uh, this month in order to just work on finishing Trey. Um, I put an out of office on my emails. I don't know if I've already mentioned that, just to say that I wasn't going to reply to emails this month. Um, and I have really... It really enjoyed just working on the one thing. I have to say, I really struggled at first because I'm so used to running around having 75 million things on my plate. But I am happier. I am feeling like I have achieved something at the end of every day. And this has been a real lesson to me about how much I take on and how much I was doing and how, like, the difference not doing all of that shit has. So this month I will have edited like one and a half books essentially, as well as having, I think I've already written over 20k this month, which I, okay, I know that's not a lot for, for some people, but that is for me, like that's a good solid month of writing. Like I will have written even more of that by the end, the, by the end of the month. But you know, that's 20k on top of editing one and a half books, which you know, normally of a normal month, 20k is the only book work I would have done. So this has been a huge wake up call for me. And this is definitely something that I am going to take through into January. Um, just stop doing shit. Just stop it. Just fucking stop it, Sasha. Um, you know, I want to write more books next year. I want to create more courses. I want to do more audiobooks. And I cannot do that if I keep doing other things. So yeah, like, I don't know. I just feel like this has been a huge wake up lesson. Wake up, wake up call, wake up lesson. Like, I will be honest, words are hard for me right now. I think today I've edited about 22 and a half thousand words and written a couple of thousand words as well. At this point, uh, on Thursday night, I've got 40,000 words left to edit and 13,000 words left to write by Monday midnight. And Saturday is my son's birthday party. <laughs> so that's most of Saturday gone. I might have a little bit of Saturday night. And uh, yeah, most of tomorrow is gone too. So... I won't lie, I'm panicking a little bit and I'm sure everybody will tell me, you know, at least you will have done loads and, uh, you know, you'll still get it done next week. And yes, I will. All of those things are true. But as a number one competition, things are kind of black and white when it comes to like deadlines or winning or losing. Like there is no fucking participation trophy, guys. Like I don't do that shit. So... Yeah, I guess I will tell you next week whether or not I hit the deadline. Pray for me <laughs> to whichever god you you worship. Um, please wish me luck, cheerlead for me. Um, I, I hope I will get this madness done over the weekend. And yeah, I will let you guys know. Oh, and um, wait, no, because this is time things are like. I was going to say that I will be doing sprints with my patrons on Sunday, but if you're a patron, you'll already know that. And it's completely fucking irrelevant to everybody else. So let's just move on, shall we? <sighs> okay, Rebel of the Week this week is Lena Johnson. 
So Lena says, one time I had to take my mum in for cataract surgery on one of her eyes. They'd prepped her going through the questions and asking them again and again. They super dilated the eye that they were going to do surgery on. Now understand that this was, oh my fucking God, dilated. Like you could barely see the color of her eyes because the pupil was so large. Her other eye has a super small pupil because one, it's really bright in the hospital and two, she's super anxious about this whole procedure. No way, I mean no flipping way were they going to miss, uh-oh, which eye that they were going to do surgery on. Oh God, I just hate, I just like, I haven't read this story. I like to read them on the air and I'm just like, that's like the perfect level of foreshadowing, right? <laughs> Well done, Lena. You tell an amazing story. Um, a 90-year-old with a Coke with Coke bottle thick glasses in a dim room could have figured out which eye to do surgery on. Oh my god. I really need to be better at reading these stories. Whew. But procedure says to be safe. So the nurse came in and I kid you not, pulls out a pack of garage sale stickers don't know if your listeners have those around where they live but around here you gather up all of your junk that you don't want anymore slap a sticker on it for like five or ten cents and throw it on a table in the garage put a sign in the yard open the garage door and wait for people to come and buy your labeled stickered shit it's a small industry in my neck of the woods yes we definitely definitely have garage sales here in the uk although we call them like oh i don't know what we call them actually (laughs) it's just gone out of my head because i'm like still worrying about your mum (laughs) okay so garage sale stickers in hospital high tech i tell you the nurse takes one of the stickers slaps it okay nicely places it on my mum's face just under the eye that is having surgery and then meanders away i stare at mum she stares at me (laughs) i giggle (laughs) As she watches in confusion, I dig around mum's purse and find a pen. And then after giving her a reassuring kiss on the forehead, I write on the sticker, (laughs) just under the eye, five cents, no returns. (laughs) This is hilarious. I laughed, mum laughed, I'm fucking laughing. (laughs) The nurse didn't get it. hysterically funny and kept telling mum jokes until they finally pulled put her under because she was moving around too much trying to keep from laughing at the groaners that the doc was telling after the surgery the surgeon gave me a nickel I love that he gave you a surgery. 20 some years later, we still laugh about it. Oh, I absolutely love it. That was a corking story. Absolutely fantastic. Oh, I love that story so much. Thank you so much for telling me. Um, And I apologise if I completely butchered the retelling, but you really should be not so funny, you know. If you'd like to be a rebel of the week, please do send in your story. It can be any kind of rebellion, something big, something small, something funny. Um, And you can email your rebel story to Becca, who you can reach at rebelauthorpodcast at gmail.com or you can Instagram me at Sasha Black Author. 
Okay, thank you, and a huge welcome to Sharon Muha. So Sharon has joined at the Rebel Emperor level, so she has joined the Rebel Readers. Um, hopefully you've got access to the Slack channel now. Uh, yeah, thank you so much for joining, and I hope you enjoy the Slack and all of the extra stuff, the sprints, the, the bloopers, and of course the Rebel Readers Masterclass. This time around we are reading A Master of Gin, and that is by P. Jilly Clark, I think. I don't quite know how you pronounce the name, uh, but it, all the information is in Patreon. And uh, I will be telling you guys, hopefully by the end of next week, what I have uh, picked up so that you guys know what to look for when you do your read. And that class will be on the 12th of January. And of course, a giant thank you to all of my existing patrons. If you'd like to support the show and get early access to all of the episodes, as well as bonus content like extra sprint sessions, bloopers, uh, random questions answered in audio format and all of the rest of it, then you can from as little as $2 a month by visiting patreon.com forward slash Sasha Black. Okay, this episode is sponsored by Pro Writing Aid. Rather than listen to me tell you why Pro Writing Aid is awesome, I'm going to play a short clip from S.W. Miller, who is one of my patrons. And he has actually just released a prequel, which I believe you can get by signing up to his mailing list. And his first ever book, The Witch's Revenge, which is an urban fantasy thriller, is on pre-order right now, and it will be released on February 1st, 2022. So you can order that uh, pretty much everywhere. It doesn't look like it's in Kindle Unlimited, so you should be able to get that anywhere. So take uh, over, over, take it over, over and away. <laughs> God, words are so hard for me this evening. Let's go, Shane. I use Pro Writing Aid to clean up my manuscripts before they go to my editor. Pro Writing Aid's great because it's not just a grammar checker. It teaches you how to improve your writing. It has reports for all those tricky areas authors hate, like style, passive voice, blue words, my own arch nemesis, cliches, and more. I've got high competition in my top five Clifton strengths, so the scoring feature really pushes me to improve my writing, because, of course, I want to beat the system. For me, the best thing is the way it integrates with Scrivener. I make all my changes in Pro Writing Aid, and Scrivener updates automatically, so no more hopping between programs, which is perfect. I'd highly recommend using Pro Writing Aid. Hello and welcome to the Rebel Author Podcast. Today I am joined by MJ Fiev. MJ is the author of ba the Badass Black Girl series. She helps others write their way through trauma, build community and create social change. She works with veterans, disenfranchised youth, cancer patients and survivors, victims of domestic and sexual violence, minorities, the elderly, those with chronic illness or those going through transition, and any underserved population in need of writing as a form of therapy even if they don't realise that they need writing or therapy. Born in Port-au-Prince, Haiti, MJ Fiev moved to the United States in 2002. She currently writes from Winter Garden, Florida. Hello and welcome. Hi, thank you so much for having me. You are most welcome. Thank you for joining me. Um, so before we begin, would you like to tell everyone a little bit more about you? Like, what was your journey? How did you get to where you are today? Absolutely. I was born in Haiti, in, a, in the capital, in Port-au-Prince. 
And I started reading and writing very young. Haiti can be a very complicated place. It's beautiful, but there's always a lot of violence and life at home wasn't always easy either. So I turned to books to just find out who I was and my place in the world. And very soon I discovered that, well, I wanted to be like one of those authors. I wanted to be able to have my own stories in terms of um, fiction. And when it came to nonfiction, I wanted to be able to talk a little bit about my, my world. So I studied writing. I received the usual encouragement. Uh, so many writers credit their family members and their teachers. It was the same for me. There's always that one teacher who mm-hmm. believes in you. And that was my case. Um, and I started publishing pretty young too. So my first book got published at 16. I focused on um, fiction, a lot of um, gory stories. I loved adventure stories. Um, and I was writing for my peers. I was a teenager writing for teenagers. And later on, when I moved to the United States at 21, that's when I really started thinking about nonfiction. Um, I would casually mention something that happened to me in Haiti and people were just shocked. And I figured, oh, well, um, turns out that my experience is pretty unique. So I started writing more about what it was, how it was to grow up in Haiti. Um, I got a master's degree in writing. And very soon I realized that I could actually make a living just uh, coaching and focusing on writing. And that's what I did. It it had always been my dream to just write all the time, talk about writing all the time, but I never thought it was possible, particularly in Haiti where um, literature is seen as a hobby unless you are a journalist and then your life is in danger all the time. So um, it took my moving to the United States to really focus on writing as a business Mm. and that is kind of what we're here to talk about as well we're here to talk about how you can make your writing a business how you can make a living and and that kind of building money uh, from words which does feel like such a far off distant dream I I was sort of like sent reminiscing as you were talking thinking about how um even though you know, I, I didn't grow up in, in a very dangerous area at all, to be honest. Um, it, it still wasn't really seen as a career or a job that you could do. You know, I was sort of had to go to university and get a proper job, you know. And, and you know, one one doesn't make money from one's creativity, which right. obviously is bullshit because <laughs> look at me now, bitches, you know. But... <laughs> But, 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 you know, so many, there are so many different ways for creativity to be crushed and for, you know, people to be told that you, you can't make money from it, which is just such a nonsense. So without further ado, let's talk about how we can make money uh, with our words. So um, you believe in multiple streams of income. So, yeah. So I wondered um, if we could uh, talk a little bit um, about what multiple streams of income are and why they're so important? They are so, so important. So I have to admit that at first I was just a a nine to five kind of person. Uh, You get a job and you 
climb the ladder, right? You get promoted and so on and so forth. That, that's what I was taught in Haiti because you want job security in a country like Haiti. And that's what I applied when I moved to the US. So the idea was that I, I was going to find a job and then find my way to the top. But then things started happening. So I did get a nine to five. Um, the first thing that happened is um, that I realized that there was no way up. So I was at the time working as an interpreter it was the closest thing that I had found that was related to, to writing because I got to interpret in court, but also um, translate, which requires language skills. And I was also doing literary translation, which requires a writer's mind. But then there was no way up at that nine to five because um, that's just the way it was set up, right? Then the second thing that happened, my mom got sick and I became a caregiver. And I realized that I needed extra money because my salary was not allowing me to take care of her properly. And besides, I was missing so many days that I was in danger of not getting paid at all. That's when I realized that I absolutely need another way of making money. Um, and I also give myself um, the authorization to, to do something that was related to writing. So when people think about making writing, making writing a source of income, they automatically think, well, I'm going to write a bestseller. I'm going to write the next Harry Potter, maybe, or the ne next Stephen King novel, and I'm going to, to get a million-dollar contract somewhere and make a living. Or they think, well, I'm going to self-publish my book and I'm going to sell so many copies that I will make a living just sitting in my, in my office, my home office. But the truth is that most people were making a lot of money um, through writing. Those people were not Stephen King or writing um, collections that are very, very popular. They do things that are writerly, that are not necessarily just writing. So I started thinking about how I could start make, getting money without investing. Because when you talk about people who, who tell you, okay, um, here's how to set an, an additional stream of income, there's always some kind of investment. And I didn't have money to invest. Um, I had some time. I mean, I was willing to invest more time, but I did not have a big pot of money that I could just start a business with. So I started thinking about what I could invest. Um, I had my reputation. I had been involved in writing circles for so long that when I decided to start my business with my husband, we decided to start Logan Masterworks, focused on writing, focused on the art, that I didn't even have to advertise because I had a reputation. So my first um, advice to anyone who wants to make money with writing, make sure that you are established as someone who knows the business of writing. You don't have to, to have a business in um, finance or uh, have a business degree from a great university, but you need to know about writing, if that's what you're gonna use. And whatever creative, creative um, 
adventure you want to embrace, you have to make sure that you are known as a, an expert in that field. And I was even before I started the business because I had been in writing circles. Um, people associated my name with writing because I had published a few books and I was part of so many different groups online and offline just talking about writing. So that was one thing that was in my favor. So I had that, I had the recognition. So I did not need to invest into advertising. All I needed to do was let people know that I was in business and um, people sent um, clients to me. So that's the first thing, make sure that people know you as the expert. And the second thing, um, expect to work hard <laughs> for a long time. Um, in six months, I mean, just studying the business, it was exhausting. It felt like years because at first you are the business. You don't want the business to remain that way for too long where you're uh, the marketer, but you're also um, the business owner and you're, the, you're the, your own secretary and you're doing outreach and you're running the finances. But for a little while, that's how it, it is until you can actually make some money and you can start hiring people. So um, in my case, I had to think about what do people want? What can I offer? What is going to have to wait until I can get other people on the team? So I'm really good at coaching. Uh, I'm really good at looking at a story, whether it's fictional or based on your life and tell you why it's not working. And part of it is because I get bored very easily. So I can tell you right away, okay, this chapter just doesn't work and that's why. This is, here's what I was expecting and it's what happened. And, um, I, I could see that coaching was an, an option, um, editing was an option, helping people publish was an option too, because most people uh, were interested in writing, don't necessarily know which way to go in terms of self-publishing or hiring an agent, and I'm able to let them know about that. So uh, those are the things that I did at first. Um, and then I realized that, okay, now that I have this additional stream of income, I'm able to do other things like hiring um, other people and create a team. So I started working with other writers. So if I received 10 manuscripts instead of three, I had other people who were highly qualified who could help me as well. And I became the in the quality controller instead of doing everything myself. Mm -hmm. So um, this created more time for me to write. So there's always this idea that, yeah, I don't want to just do writerly stuff. I want to be able to write too. And that's where um, the time came. Now that you have a team, you're able to write a little bit more. So you're working on your own writing dreams, but you're also making money, helping others reach their goals. Yeah, I think it's really interesting because I came to sort of author services in a really different way. So I did not have the reputation. Um, I did not have uh, any kind of like established expertise. Um, what I did was just 
uh, started sharing things that I'd learned on my lesson, um, on my lesson, on my journey. And um, it was completely by accident. You know, I was learning so much because I am a student at heart. And so I was intentionally studying the craft and I was like dissecting books and dissecting films and being like, well, this is why this works. And this is why this doesn't work. What does everyone else think? And it was through that just like really genuine, like, I'm really excited about this lesson I've just learned. Look at this. Just just like vomiting it onto the internet that it magically turned into this reputation. I don't know. Like <laughs> it was a complete accident. But yeah, I, I kind of started sharing stuff and then just compiled it into a book, not really, you know, thinking that that, you know, I didn't intend to build a, a reputation. It's just what happened as a consequence. So yeah, I just wanted to bring that in because I think a lot of writers like I can think of quite a few writers who want to go into this um, field of working with uh, with other writers and providing services, but who might be afraid of that word expert and right. feel that they they, you know, I don't know, maybe they feel that they do need putting me a degree or they need X number of years or whatever. But I, you know, I don't think that's necessarily the case. I think, you know, if you if you have studied and you have you know, you've written books and you know how to create a good book, then you know more than somebody who's coming to the very first draft of their very first book, you know? So yeah, I just wanted to bring that because I think it was a really great sort of, you know, coin, like on both sides of the, the journey that we've been on. Um, I, I love that you clarified. Yes, definitely. I didn't mean expert as in um, having three different degree, um, English degrees or having a degree in creative writing per se. And um, I met, you know, your stuff, basically, yeah. Yeah. Um, whether you, you're self-taught, um, whether you do indeed have a degree, you know what you're talking about. So not expert as in uh, being decorated by academia necessarily, but yes, you, you know what you're talking about. And I love the fact that you also mentioned being genuine mm. because when you're establishing yourself as an expert, it's not you looking down at people saying, well, um, I know this because I have a degree from this big university. It's about being able to um, being to be you being authentic. You're showing a real passion for writing. You're showing a real passion for the craft, and people can tell the difference. They can tell when you're trying to sell them something versus you know what she's been doing it for so long that now she's helping other people. And, or um, she's been doing it for so long, I trust her and I will go to her. I will try to find out if she helps other people. Mm -hmm. So you made important points about um, the expert being just someone who, know, who knows their shit, basically. Yeah. <laughs> and um, the, the, the passion and authenticity for sure help establish you as yeah. that kind of expert. Okay, so when thinking about multiple streams of income like what are your deciding factors in pursuing a potential stream of income is it ROI is it level of learning is it dip different type of energy requirement like how do you decide what income stream to pursue well personally I want I want whatever activity that I'm dedicating myself to I want it to be in line with my passion 
and my mission. So um, writing has always been important to me because it was a survival tool. Um, there were so many moments in my life where I didn't think that I would survive emotionally what was happening at home, what was happening in the country, um, my country of birth, Haiti, that um, I turned to writing, not just as a pastime, but as a tool so that I could remain centered and I could um, really find what, something to keep me going. So um, it, writing became a real mission for me. And I, I want to do something that is meaningful. So it's more than just about the, the money, although it is because you have to pay the bills, but I, I choose whatever is helpful. For instance, if I had to choose between um, ghostwriting, for instance, which brings uh, a lot of money and helping, let's say, um, some, someone who's a writer, but um, who was still struggling with put, putting a book together. And it's a book um, about um, something meaningful, like sur surviving prison, for instance. I would rather choose that project over writing something that might be more fun and bring more money, but doesn't necessarily have that aspect to it, that, that saving um, grace to it. So um, there are different streams that I explore all the time. And it's just a matter of, okay, what am I going to focus on this week? So the first stream is um, translations. So in Haiti, I grew up speaking French and Haitian Creole. And when I moved to the US, I was um, I became a, an Anglophone and um, I became a translator, a literary translator. So it's still related to writing. So that's one stream of income. Um, the second one um, is ghostwriting, giving up the fact that those words are yours, you're writing for someone else, someone else's name is being used, or you're being listed as a co-writer um, instead of getting the entire credit. So that's another stream. Um, another stream of income is teaching writing. So I get called a lot for workshops and one-on-one -on -one, um, writing um, sessions. Um, you can coach as a writer. You can also do um, organize seminars, work with other people and put together seminars. So you're teaching and organizing at the same time. Um, I do a lot of project managements for events that are related to create creativity. So there's a list and um, some of my partners, they prefer certain projects, like some of them will never go right, some of them will. So it's also a matter of deciding, okay, if it's more than just me, if I'm working with other people, how am I going to split the work um, depending on what is interesting for one person and impossible to accomplish for another. So it's about knowing yourself and knowing what you're good at versus what it is that you want to do. I might be a good ghostwriter, but I prefer um, coaching over ghostwriting. Um, again, some of my partners um, prefer ghostwriting over anything else. Uh, some of them think it unthinkable, well, <laughs> forget the aim, <laughs> forgive the pun, to ghostwrite and have someone else take credit for, for their hard work. So um, it's, 
I, I always recommend to find that balance between how much money do you need uh, to make this month versus um, how much are you willing to compromise what you believe in. Um, I'm used to ghostwriting. I don't care. I mean, I, I'm, I'm writing so many stories under my own name that if someone else want, wants to tell their story and they can't, I'm happy to be their voice. But uh, you might be against that. It, it might be uh, completely um, revolting, the very idea of ghostwriting. So that's how I decide. Um, and there's a price tag associated with everything. Copy, um, copy editing is less expensive, for instance, than developmental editing. And ghostwriting is which way more expensive than anything that has to do with just editing. So um, people can choose. You um, Being good at developmental editing doesn't mean that you're a good writer. Being a good writer doesn't make you a good copy editor. So it's also about figuring out what you're good at in terms of writing as a business adventure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's really interesting. I um, I think the line, I, I've done a whole um, sort of talk video thing with um, Christina Stanley, who's the CEO and founder of Fictionary. And we talk about that line between copy editing and developmental editing, because sometimes a manuscript will come to you and the story arc is fine. And so you may not necessarily need a story arc Um, edit but some of the characters might not be right but that needs to be fixed by a copy edit but so you so you need to do that wait so let's say there's like maybe one or two issues with the with the story arc but you can't do that because the the copy needs to be better before you can fix the story and then sometimes it's like the other way around like the story the, the prose is wonderful but actually like the tight like the, the the pacings off and the and the story arc is all over the place and you know so sometimes and and so I always think like as a developmental editor your job is really sort of 50% copy and 50% mm-hmm. like developmental editor but yeah like it was really interesting as you were talking um like I have done a little bit of ghost writing but I'm one of those that doesn't really like it like I much prefer to have my name on the cover mm-hmm. um so yeah but yeah my co-host on the next level authors podcast makes um a really Really good income from ghostwriting um, and doesn't mind. But I think that's because um, he has built up this real amazing muscle for being able to churn out words, whereas I am a little bit slower and I, my muscle isn't as strong as his. Um, <laughs> It sounds a bit dodgy now, but you know, my writing muscle isn't as strong in terms of like I can smash out fiction, uh, non fiction words, but I can't smash out fiction words. So I, and so I think that's why it's a bit harder for me to like put myself in that, um, that ghostwriting, uh, arena because every word is still precious to me because I don't, don't get out hundreds of thousands of them every year. I only have a limited number of words to get out. Um, okay, cool. So, um, you covered a little bit about the types of streams that you have. And I I suppose I wanted to throw out for anyone that doesn't know, um, I also have Patreon, um, which hopefully everybody knows about by now. I mention it every single week. Um, I also have this show is sponsored. So that is another form of income. There's merchandise. Um, I uh, run masterclasses and I have writing courses that I've created as well as like speaking. So some of the things are sort of some crossover there, but I just wanted to throw those extra ones out there as well. Um, so 
with that many streams of income how do you balance them and like how do you avoid like your secondary streams taking over what is you know your primary streams of income that that's a good question and i think that's the main struggle for everyone who's creating an additional stream um the we all we all have 24 hours in the day <laughs> so you have to decide what is the most um what is what kind of setup is going to allow you to work for a number of hours that makes sense for your health and for your sanity while making the most money that you can. So um, one thing that I always ask myself is when I when I'm choosing a job, whether I'm the best person to do this job. Because if I'm better at quality control, then I let someone else do it and I do the quality control so that I'm, I'm still getting paid partially for the job, um, but I'm not the one doing it because my time might be uh, best used for something else. Um, sometimes it, it's, it's giving up on simple things that you would never dare think about. For instance, um, do I really want to spend my time cleaning when um, someone else could be cleaning and I'm doing um, editing or ghostwriting? So it was, I'm a little obsessive compulsive. So it was hard for me to give up the the cleaning up of my house. And it also felt so bourgeois and like (laughs) unacceptable at some level, but I gave up cleaning the house because um, it's less expensive for me to have someone else do it and use those hours. Let's say that you decide that your time is worth, let's say 60 bucks an hour. Or some people might tell you my time is, is worth 100 bucks. You decide how much your time is worth. And then you compare that time to what you're going to pay for someone else to do it. Let's say that... Um, you find yourself answering the phone all day long and wasting time over the phone or wasting time answering emails that don't require your kind of brain power because your expertise is writing or editing or um, whatever it is that you're doing. Um, it At first, it might be scary. Oh, I'm going to have to hire... Um, someone to answer the phone or answer my emails. I don't want to do that. I want to be able to do it myself. But then you realize, well, I'm going to pay someone maybe $15 an hour versus the 150 I think I'm worth. So I'm making those decisions. So to answer your question, um, I had to learn to delegate. Mm -hmm. Delegation is key. You cannot do everything. There are 24 hours a day and that's it. And eight of them, I hope you're sleeping because you're the most important person uh, in your own life. So you have to be healthy. So um, I am always on the lookout for people I can delegate work to. Um, If I'm charging a client, let's say um, $100 for an assignment, uh, that $100 include the person who's actually going to do the work. in the editor was going to double check the work and 
what I'm going to do as the quality controller. So um, I've been really competitive in a sense that I try to keep my prices affordable, but I'm always clear that, okay, you're paying this amount that is slightly less than mine for one person, but you're paying me for three people because um, there's a person actually doing the work, the person uh, verifying the work, and then I do the final quality control. And it's a system that has worked because yes, we're a little bit more, slightly more expensive than the average A riders out there, but we're offering a, a service that we call a one-stop because you won't have to find someone else to fix something that wasn't done well because three people looked at it. Mm-hmm. Um, being able to create a team so that you're not doing everything, being money, your time is worth. So that can help you choose uh, what to delegate and what you're going to do yourself and knowing who you can count on because um, if you're delegating to the wrong person, then you have a lot of um, troubleshooting to do um, and it takes even more time. So those are some of the tips for um, choosing uh, for finding ways to really control your time yeah and I think it takes a little bit of time to find the right person to work with as well and I think when you start doing that you have to expect that that you may not get the right person on the first go um and uh what what was the other thing that I was going to say um oh yeah that calculation blew my mind the one way you calculate what your time is worth per hour versus what it would cost to pay somebody else to do something and um it's really hard to let go because at first you know you have to pay out for somebody else before you are necessarily reaping the benefit of those hours that you've gained back and that's scary but like ultimately you will see your income increase you know because it just takes a little while for that like that sort of cycle to come back round. Um, How do you cope with imposter syndrome? Have you ever like suffered with imposter syndrome starting to um, like add a new income stream or doing that thing that's completely new or, you know, um, being an expert in, in, in an area? Um, Well, I still suffer from it. I don't think I will ever be in a position where I trust myself so much that I don't question myself all the time. And I actually like imposter syndrome because it keeps you grounded. Mm -hmm. It reminds you that you always need to be careful because I'm questioning myself every single time. I'm always double checking and making sure that things are really what they should be. Uh, One way I deal with it though, is again, by collaborating with other people, because um, if, only one person is working on an assignment, then errors happen, you question your judgment. But if let's say that you're doing developmental editing and you know that someone else is going to review the work, then you know that whatever um, idiotic comment you left is going to be questioned by someone you trust before it goes to the client. So I'm okay with that. I'm okay with someone who's close to me calling me, 
an idiot, then um, <laughs> better them than the actual client. So um, that's one way. Um, it's really reaffirming when you're working with someone that you can trust because they will point out the things that they didn't think about and that you came up with. Um, and that leads me to, to, uh, to some related advice, um, not necessarily linked to imposter syndrome, but that in working with other people, I always make sure that they get paid, right? Um, and one piece of advice that I've given people over and over, make sure that you get paid before you start the work. It's not always easy, it's not always possible, but if you have established yourself as the expert, we talked about that earlier, um, as this person who's passionate, who knows what they're doing and people come to you, um, they will be willing to pay you in advance. Mm -hmm. um, and one way to keep a team um, in, in place working is to, is to be able to guarantee that they get paid as soon as they deliver their work. So I don't work with clients who are not willing to pay in advance. And people will, will feel the imposter syndrome there. Oh, well, I'm asking $5,000 was possibly going to pay me that much in advance. Um, and you start thinking I'm a nobody, but if the work is worth $5,000 and they will eventually pay it, have them pay it in advance. And you should have established yourself in a way that they feel okay paying you in advance. So as soon as my, my colleagues deliver the work, they get paid right away. Um, it's a guarantee that I give. I, I give a guarantee of um, excellence to the client and I give a guarantee of being paid on time, every time to my collaborators. So this way everyone feels that, okay, um, this is going to be their priority because they won't have to wait one or two months to, to get paid. And, um, and yeah, so they, they become my trusted colleagues and I feel comfortable making mistakes around them because I know that somebody's gonna catch it because we have this quality control system in place. So even if I feel terrible and um, so, so, some, some, some projects make you feel plain stupid because you're questioning whether you're doing the right thing and they're there to remind you, yes, you are, or mm, um, I don't agree with this, with this comment that you made. So that helps too. When is a good time to let go of an income stream? Health has become really important for me, not just because I want to live a long time and I want to feel good in my skin, but um, ever since I became a caregiver and I realized the impact that health can have on your personal life, uh, my mom was I had a brain injury a few years back. So I became her caregiver. And then a few years later, she was diagnosed with cancer. That was really time consuming in terms of um, helping her plan for her care in addition to just being emotionally um, devastating in, in, in many ways. I think, I think that I value health now more than ever. And if 
a stream of income is bringing you more stress than it's worth, I would suggest letting it go. For me, it was just translating. Um, just because that world requires a turnaround that is sometimes just stressful in itself, even if you have the, the, the so much time in your hand, um, translations tend to require a very, very short turnaround. And I just didn't like the fact that there was so much pressure. Um, and also ghost writing can be a little stressful if you're working with someone who doesn't understand the writing process. Mm. Um, so here I only choose clients who, who get it because Again, as you mentioned before, someone doesn't need to have a degree in writing to be to understand writing, to be good at it. And some people are good at um, understanding writing, but they're not necessarily writers and they, they um, ask for help. They, they want a ghostwriter. But some people don't understand how writing works at all. And um, it can be very stressful to work with someone like this where you have to make sure that the contract is is really set in stone that you don't write half a book before they realize, oh, that's not the book I wanted to write. So you have to make sure that they understand the cost of making changes at the last minute because it's really stressful for someone to come back to you and say, well, I don't want this anymore. And to realize that you don't have a contract that is solid enough to allow uh, you to say, well, you're gonna to have to pay for the additional hours. So if you're not really good at um, contracts, you're not really good at dealing with people who are difficult and you feel that ghostwriting is what's bringing you all the stress or maybe coaching is what's bringing you all the stress, then make sure that you're doing what is worth um, sweating over. How? do you balance trying to build a, a writing business with multiple streams of income when you can't yet quit your day job? So I know a lot of people listening want to write full time, but they still have day jobs. And with every income stream is a lot of work. And of course, most of them want to write so how do they balance that? Is it worth it? Should they just focus on producing books? Should they build up um, other streams of income? Like how, how do you balance that when you still have to get up and go to a job every single day? So my situation is very peculiar because I quit my, five, my nine to five I started my business and then I was recruited by a company to come work for them. And they said, you know what, whatever you're, you're making on your own right now, we'll match it so that you can come back. Well, not come back, but you can come and work with us. So it just happened to work perfectly because I was able to really focus on what I wanted. I knew what I wanted and I was able to show that I'm good at it. But for many years, I was um, working on the side on my own thing, and I had a nine to five. And one thing that I discovered was that um, it was less stressful when your nine to five is somehow related 
to to that side gig that that you want to turn into a real business. So I started uh, with teaching because um, I always knew that my writing career was going to have a teaching component, but the kind of teaching that I did at first did not correlate to the kind of um, writing endeavors that I wanted to embrace. So I quit teaching and I started translating because I was translating on the side already and it was connected to writing because I did a lot of literary translations, but um, the kind of job that I could find was um, at the courthouse, and it's so different from translating uh, books and just uh, being in that literary world. So it didn't work uh, either. I feel like we pulled in different directions all the time. Then when I started working for a publishing company, it started making more sense um, because I'm in the world of publishing and I'm also being a creative on the side. Um, there was more peace. Now I understand that not everybody can do that, but if you can, that's what I would recommend. If you want the security of a, for a 401k and you want to start a stream of income, make sure that there is some kind of relationship between um, your side gig and your main gig so that you're at least not juggling too many different things. Um, if you can't, now there are still ways to balance. So um, again, how much is your time worth and how much extra time can you dedicate? Um, if you're working 40 hours a week, um, you need to know how many more hours you can dedicate to whatever it is that you want to embrace. Um, if it's five hours, um, decide what those hours are worth again, so that you can come up with a plan. You might have to give up a few things so that your hours are really dedicated to that particular um, stream of income. Um, and out of those five hours, how many can you um, use just managing what other people are doing so that you can get into the mindset of not you doing everything, but you managing other people. Um, so that's what I had to do um, in, while I was working for the courthouse, for instance, um, I started working for a book fair uh, as a coordinator. So it was um, linked to writing much more than the courthouse. And then I got um, that contract with a publishing house. And I had to decide, okay, how many hours can I give to the book fair without feeling that I'm cheating on my main job or on the publisher because they're all paying you for a certain number of hours for a certain number of projects. I'm not going to say, well, I spent 10 hours on this when in fact I only spent two. So you want to be fair to all the streams of income. So you have to know how much time. Um, and something simple as, um, as simple as keeping track of your time before you can even know what your time is worth. Are you keeping track of your time? Do you know how much time you're dedicating to each of them? Um, I use a timer all the time just to make sure that I'm being true to what I'm billing because if I'm billing for an hour, it better be an hour. I'm not going to, to cheat and lie. So um, 
those are some of the, the tips, um, trying to be in sync as much as you can. If it's not possible, really thinking about how many extra hours you want to dedicate, knowing how, how much your hour is worth and how many of those hours can be used um, just managing other people so that you can start um, growing your team. Yeah, I, I love what you said. And I remember when I was still in the corporate world and I was working a 40 hour week and then I was probably working another 20 or 30 hours on top, like just on the writing business. And um, that that sort of question of, well, you know, you only have 24 hours in a day. Therefore, what do you what can you give up and that was the thing for me I had to give up a lot of socializing I had to give up tv essentially I had to give up you know um I stopped going to the gym the amount of times that I went to the gym and then just did martial arts you know and and okay yeah okay maybe I probably should carry on to the gym but anyway I got out of my day job didn't I so yeah um but it's true like you do only have 24 hours in a day and you have to figure out what it is that you can give up and or or where you're going to squeeze your time and you know ultimately how I got out of mine is that I started reducing the hours that I was working you know I paid off all my debt and then um I started reducing hours at work because I didn't need as much every month because I'd paid off um sort of student debts and things like this so I didn't need to earn as much so that meant um you know I could lose those hours at work and and those sort of hourly salary um uh, amounts and I could then dedicate that time to to writing now I have only recently brought on um a second person to work with as sort of a freelancer who um does a lot of like the admin for the podcast and does a lot of graphics and, and scheduling and things for me and I I yeah so that's really only a recent thing for me and I'm quite a number of years in but you know that's because that's the shape of the business that I want I don't really want to work with lots of other people I, I left the corporate world so I didn't have to do that um and so for me it's very much about you know finding one what are those things that I don't enjoy doing and therefore I can pay somebody else to do two what are the things that other people are better at than me and therefore they're faster at them than me um and you know because then okay yes I'm spending out but actually it's probably less than what I'm going to earn per hour and you know they're going to enjoy doing that task more than me and I'm not going to get stressed trying to do it um and it's probably going to be better than whatever it is that I you know I could create so you know you have to do really like you said you have to know yourself and and know like where your time is best spent um okay so what do you think are the most important factors um in creating a sustainable long-term career i think passion for sure i mean i've i've worn so many hats and um the right the writer's hat is the one that i kept for forever because that's where the passion is and I know that if you ask older generations like my mom she's like well I didn't have the luxury to choose it's such a millennial senior kind of thinking that you you're working for enjoyment but the thing is well I can afford to work for enjoyment so I'm going to and I do think that if you like what you do 
um, it's easier to find ways to make it happen. Mm. Um, so for sure, passion is a, is a big thing. And with the passion also comes the mission, right? Knowing why you do this so that when things get hard, you can think back on the reasons why you started in the first place. Um, sometimes I don't feel like um, doing any of those things that we mentioned, those additional streams of income. Sometimes I, I, I'm like, oh, I just want to go to my nine to five and come home and, and sleep it off. But then I remember why I do it and the people that I've helped. I read some of the testimonials that they sent me and I, it helps me remember that I'm working on something bigger than just making money, right? So um, that's also important. Um, also, I think it's important to think about those factors that we don't want to think about. What happens if something becomes unbalanced? And that's what forced me to, to leave my nine to five. Remember that suddenly my mom got sick and I was, I just couldn't keep a job during that period of time. And she was sick for, for um, most of that year. So it's not, it wasn't a temporary situation. I had to make a decision. So I always ask myself, what if there is one factor that changes? What happens then? Um, what if I get sick? Is, am I still gonna be able to make some of the money? And that that's why, I value collaboration so much because, okay, even if I'm sick, if I'm, if I'm training somebody so that they can replace me for a few days and they can assign those, um, those jobs to my colleagues without me having to be there uh, that entire week, is it possible? Um, and also it's a family business. So having those conversations now with my husband about, okay, what can you do when I'm not here? And it, it talking about priorities um, and making sure that there's a system in place so that even if I'm not around, the system is still working because things happen. You get sick, uh, other people get sick, you have to take care of them. Um, people find other experts that they, they like maybe better than they like you because it's um, your personality is such an important part of any side gig, right? Um, or people don't like the idea that someone else might work on their project. A lot of people, I mentioned that uh, earlier that a lot of people come to me because of the of word of mouth. So they come and if I tell them that someone else is gonna do the job, then they don't want, they don't want to, to, to enter that contract because they want me and I only have 24 hours in a day. So, uh, they walk away. And what happens if many people walk away and you don't get contracts? Um, when the in 2020 happened, a lot of people were not focusing their energy on uh, getting their books written, contrary to what the internet will have you think that everybody's home trying to make their dreams come true. People are trying to save money because they had no idea where uh, their next paycheck was going to come in. So for a few months, I did not have any clients. Um, so in terms of sustainability, are you making enough money so that you can, you can survive for the next six months? And I know that at first it might 
feel exhausting because you're just trying to make a little bit of extra income to pay your bills. But if you plan, if you plan it well, if you're you're really aware of what your hour is worth, if you're able to put a system in place where you're getting help, then uh, money will be you'll be able to double um, the money because 24 hours, if your hour is worth 100. Um, you will never make more than 24 times 100. But if you're working with a team and um, it becomes um, more, uh, the team keeps growing and they're bringing you more and more money, eventually you'll be able to save enough money for six months so that if something happens, you have six months worth of income still coming in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's so important to have like that fallback and that nest egg. Um, and so I suppose leading on from that, then what considerations should you be making for retirement? Retirement is really, really at the forefront of my thinking now, because um, I turned 40. So I'm not I'm getting closer to retirement. I'm not there yet. But um, we need to start planning early. So um, for sure, I started educating myself a little bit more, um, learning about my taxes, because I've been paying taxes for for so long without necessarily understanding those numbers and what they mean. So the first step that I took was sitting with a financial advisor and understanding, okay, when I retire, how much money am I going to make based on uh, what I've been paying in terms of taxes right now. What will be my monthly income? And that was an eye opener because I'm like, okay, there's no way I'm gonna be able to live on this. So then I started discussing options with my financial advisor. Um, I don't know anything about money. Um, I'm a bookish person. I know everything about words. I'm a big nerd when it comes to what I read and the writing and just uh, nerd culture. But don't ask me about uh, retirement in terms of being able to show you the financials. So again, I did what you do. I went to someone who's better at it than I am and who can do it faster. And I looked at options, some some, there are different options out there that require you to invest a little bit of money um, every month on, so that when you retire, you can actually afford a living. So um, when you're thinking about those streams of income and you're making your monthly budget and you're like, okay, this is how much I'm gonna I'm gonna need to to pay for my my daily um, bills, right? I have to pay the electricity and this and that. I think it's really important for you to first put enough money down to actually be able to sit with a financial advisor so you can afford some good sessions to talk to them. And second, um, that you plan to have some money put aside every month. I always put saving first when I'm doing my budget because if you put everything else First, there's no money left for saving. So I put saving first. And then if there's enough money, I, I put leisure down. Um, 
saving for retirement is important, particularly if you're like me with no kids. My mom is lucky that she has children taking care of her, but I won't have anyone taking care of me when I retire and I get sick because I'm old and fragile. So um, saving now is really important. Okay, this is the Rebel Author Podcast. So tell everyone about a time you unleashed your inner rebel. Well, the very act of writing was a rebellious act for me. I come from a culture of silence. Um, We had a series of dictatorships in Haiti for, for years. People were not expressing what they had, well, what they wanted to say. And it it took a lot of courage for people after a, the dictatorship to just getting just get used to to writing and speaking their minds, and um, I, I did just that. I decided to speak my truth, although it was not encouraged. Um, no, the dictatorship was not still in place, but the consequences were there, and people. Um, were not open to the truth, but it became very important to me to speak my truth. I love that. Uh, That is a real true rebellion in the face of genuine danger as well. So I think that is a very, very amazing rebellion. Um, Okay, well, thank you very much for your time today. Would you like to tell everyone where they can find out more about you and your books, your services, like anything else that you would like to add? Absolutely. Um, you can check out mjfiev.com and I'm also at badassblackgirl.com for my book series, Badass Black Girl. And um, if you're interested in ghostwriting or um, editing services, coaching services, you can find me at loganmasterworks.com. Amazing. Thank you so much for your time. And of course, those links will be in the show notes as well. So everybody can just click over there and and find all of your um, your services and websites. Well, thank you so much for your time. And of course, a big thank you to all of the show's listeners and of course, all of the show's patrons. If you would like to get early access to all of the episodes, as well as bonus goodies, then you can by visiting patreon.com forward slash Sasha Black. I'm Sasha Black, you are listening to MJ Fiev, and this was the Rebel Author Podcast. Next week, I'm going to be joined by Robin Pierce, and we're going to be talking all about time management to help you get your writing, your business, your plans, your schedules, your goals ready for 2022. So join me next week for that. Don't forget to tune in and subscribe on your podcatcher. And when you have a moment, please leave a review. 